And so what we're really trying to do is understand. And in order to do that, we have to listen. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. It's my way of encouraging people to make the choice to be curious in the face of the unknown, curious in the face of what feels unsettling, curious rather than resistant or angry or scared. And I will confess that in recent months, I've had some struggles with being curious about the other side of the political spectrum. I'm inclined to stick with my heartfelt, long-held, deeply rooted feelings about certain political issues, and I don't really want to give them up. And I wanted to find someone to explore choosing to be curious across political distance, whether ideological or simply geographic. And along came Arlington Potter, Stacy Snyder. Stacy is an unapologetic progressive, but she grew up in rural southern Virginia, and she thinks a lot of us here in Arlington don't get the rest of the state, and that that's on us, not on them. And if we want to make effort and respect what we hear, things could maybe change in Richmond. So we're going to talk to Stacy in a moment. But first, I want to talk about why this is so important. As a species, we're inclined to bias. We're inclined to see the world the way we're inclined to see the world. It's hardwired in. The CIA, of all places, defines cognitive biases as mental errors that are caused by simplified information processing strategies. The idea is that we take mental shortcuts, often established early on in our lives and heavily influenced by the people and ideas around us. And we use those ideas to make judgments that are then fundamentally flawed, not just because we might have bad information, but because of the way we got to those judgments. One example of this is confirmation bias, in which we look for and then see only information that supports our original position. We all have what's called a bias blind spot, We don't see it in ourselves, but we're wickedly fast at spotting it in other people. And on top of that, research suggests that in many instances, smarter people are actually more vulnerable to those thinking errors. But before we get all depressed that we're doomed by our biases, there's good news. Intelligence and education won't save you from having biases or forming prejudiced opinions, but an inquisitive attitude being curious may help you reason better. Dan Cahan and his colleagues at the Cultural Cognition Program at Yale Law School are looking at these very questions. And in January of this year, they published an article in the journal Advances in Political Psychology called Science Curiosity and Political Information Processing. Some really intriguing findings. They look at people's tendency to meld new information into their existing beliefs. So they're just supporting their political identities, what's called politically motivated reasoning. It's basically a version of confirmation bias, and it turns out smart people aren't exempt. In fact, they observed a kind of depressing pattern 
that members of the public most able to make sense of scientific evidence are in fact the most polarized. But people who score highly in science curiosity, people who are intrigued by surprising information and scientific discoveries, are more willing and more able to absorb information that goes counter to their political beliefs. In other words, science curiosity seems to be the pin that bursts the partisan bubble and allowing new and maybe uncomfortable information in to penetrate. Someone who's curious about science is also more likely to venture out of their echo chamber, which is, again, something we might all benefit for. In fact, Cahan suggests that if his results hold up, and you know that remains to be seen, this is just one study, curiosity might be considered what he calls an essential to good civic character. All I can say is go out and get curious about science and take your friends and family with you. And Stacy Snyder is with me to talk about choosing to be curious about political differences across ideological and geographic distance. Stacy's the founder and engine behind the Political Action Committee Together Virginia, which is dedicated to fostering conversations between Virginians with a particular focus on rural voters. Their goal is to encourage trust and understanding. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. And I wanna I wanna start first with a little bit of your backstory, because I was so intrigued that it's a potter who is doing this. So tell me, tell me a little bit about you first. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, um, and I have a large extended family in southwest Virginia in uh, Franklin County and uh, Botetourt County. There's a cemetery where my great where my grandparents are buried, my great grandparents are buried, and my great great grandparents oh, are buried. That's real roots. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. That's some real roots in Virginia. And so, how'd you get, come to pottery? You know, I took a pottery class in high school, and then I went to college. I grew up in Blacksburg, which is a big college town, but I was ready to get out, so I went to a different big college town uh-huh. in um, Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, my freshman year, I signed up for a eight o'clock in the morning ceramics class, and um, kind of all. One thing led to another. I ended up writing a letter to a woman who is a ceramic artist that lives in Floyd County, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being her studio assistant for the summer. Oh, and, nice. And she is now one of the you know, most influential people in my life and sort of getting to know her and her husband and the other potters that live in Floyd um, really set me on a path and showed me that you know, being a functional potter was something that you could do. So you've had this interesting intersection between your pottery and your politics. Talk about that. I have. I used to give away, I, you know, I'm a potter and I, I put these images on my on my pots and I used to put bikes on images. And several years ago, I went to a bike race and I said, I'm going to take one of these cups and give it to one of my favorite riders. Oh, cool. And so I, I did. And it was so thrilling that sure I said, I've got to do some more of this. And <laughs> But I developed a criteria for what these bike riders um, Uh needed to do in order to get a cup. And I called it being cup worthy. And so they would have to be good teammates. And if they dope, they had to feel remorseful about it. And 
they had to be kind. And if I in, listened to an interview, I would give them bonus points for liking to read. And mm. they had to be able to appreciate the gift of a handmade cup. It oh, wasn't just sure. somebody that was a winner or I, they just had to be good people. And so then um, shortly after the election, I went to a Martin Luther King Day walk and um, I met our congressman, Don Beyer, there. Mm -hmm. And I was walking with him and one of his staffers took a picture of us talking Mm -hmm. and it ended up on his Facebook page. So I shared it on my Facebook page. And one of my friends who knew about the bike cups Mm -hmm. and giving them to bike riders said, oh, he's cup worthy. And I said, (laughs) oh, that's such a great idea. So then I decided that I was going to make cups to give to my cup worthy representatives. Uh And um, I found a an image, a bald eagle, and it had the phrase e pluribus unum, which stands for out of many one. Mm -hmm. And that was our country's first motto, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which I I love. And I love the idea that it talks about a community and how we are stronger as one. And so I have um, given a cup to both my congressman, uh, Don Beyer, and my congress and and Senator Tim Kaine. Uh (laughs) And and now it's um, Tim Kaine's office cup. I have seen that picture of that cup on his shelf behind his desk chair. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's like a for real thing. It's for real thing. That's not like a show position. That's no, like a, a functional Right. Position. And as a, as a functional potter, the idea that I make work to go out into the world and it and I I love the idea that it can change the way that somebody thinks about how they have their morning coffee. It can maybe bring a, a sense of awareness to a moment. Uh-huh. And I really, it really means so much to me to think that it's sitting in Tim Kaine's office and he is drinking out of that cup every day as he thinks about decisions he needs to make as a senator of Virginia and a senator in the United States. It's, it's very special. It's lovely. And I love the idea of drinking from one another's cups yeah. as a um, a metaphor for what you're trying to do in the political realm as well. It's really lovely. Yeah. Well, thank you. (laughs) And, you know, when we first talked about having this conversation, I was struck at um, the connection that I saw between being a functional potter and sort of the way you were approaching um, this question of political distance. And distance seemed like the right word given your focus on getting those of us in Northern Virginia to pay attention to the rest of the state. So talk a little bit about what your path was from pottery to politics. Well, I'm not really sure exactly what the path was, <laughs> but <laughs> because I, I've been a professional potter for um, for since 2000, and I've always been a little bit involved in in politics. You know, locally in Arlington, I'm I'm on a committee for our school board, and that has that has kind of kept me activated. But it was really after the November election mm-hmm. um, that I really said, I've got to I've got to do something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. together, Virginia actually started with a conversation with a friend of mine that lives that used to be the the Roanoke Democratic Party chair, uh-huh. and we started sharing articles and, mm-hmm. and said, what what happened? What what can we do? And, you know, he had this perspective of rural Virginia, and I had this perspective of northern Virginia. And he was seeing 
you know, people down there saying, oh, these Northern Virginia liberal elitists, this is they what they don't get it. They don't get it. <laughs> yeah. And we're up here in Northern Virginia saying, look at, you know, what are those people down there? What were they thinking? Right. How could they do that? Right. You know, and there was name calling from both sides. And we, we both said, you know, it's not productive. You know, what can we do? And and we started pulling more more people together. And I had other contacts in Southwest Virginia, um, some some political people and my some pottery friends that I would reach out to and say, what's going on there? What you know, how how can we bring these perspectives together? Right. And so how are you bringing those perspectives together? Basically, we are really trying to get people to understand the the needs of of Southwest Virginia. They're very different than Northern Virginia. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk a little bit in specifics about that, um, because I think, I think one of the reasons that people don't think about them in Northern Virginia is they don't know to think about them. Right. So, what what should Northern Virginia be curious about? <laughs> well, um, education. You know, I mean, in Northern Virginia, we are blessed with a, a, a well-funded educational system, mm-hmm. and in Virginia, the um, Public, the funding for public schools is tied to a local tax base. The, the statewide unemployment rate in Virginia is is low. Is one of the lowest in the South, but it's much higher in mm-hmm. Southwest Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so, if they don't, if the unemployment rate is high, tax base is low, and funding for schools is low. And if you don't have good schools, you can't attract or maintain people living in in the area. So you lose the more of the tax base. It was right. really sort of a death spiral. Right. Isn't so it? you yeah. lose more of the tax base. Yeah. Um, another thing that I've learned and I and I'm really learning about the perspectives. I don't, you know, I haven't lived there in in many years and the surrounding areas of Blacksburg are rural, but Blacksburg is a college town. Right. So it really isn't rural. You know, and I had no idea before this election, but there there are many areas of Virginia that don't have adequate broadband or cell phone service. Mm-hmm. And without adequate broadband, you can't bring in a business that needs to act globally. You know, you may be able to, you know, manufacture solar panels, but unless you have a website that you can sell those solar panels, it will be hard to um, make that a viable business. Uh-huh. And what uh-huh. you have to do is create jobs. Economics is a is a big driver mm-hmm. of the way that people vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So part of what you try to do is increase not just understanding, but trust. Right. And talk a little bit about how you see building trust across those distances. Well, living in Arlington, since I moved here, I, I thought, I moved, well, I moved here from Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, you pay about the same percentage of taxes that you pay in Arlington. But you don't get good trash service. You never know if it's going to get, you know, if, if the Eagles win, you know, <laughs> like, are we going to... I grew it, up in Philadelphia. It's still true, right? I guess. Yeah, you never know. Like, well, if the Eagles win, does that mean our trash will get picked up or won't get picked up? But in Arlington, you know, we pay our taxes and we get great schools. We have great libraries. We have great senior services. We have great roads. And, you know, we really have a government that works for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know... In other parts of the state, it's very clear that government does not work for people, mm. and they don't have trust in government. And so, what we are really trying to do is is um, understand 
the you know voters in Southwest Virginia or in other rural other parts of Virginia can honestly be helped. And in order to do that, we have to listen. Mm-hmm. We have to listen to them to understand how a message can resonate with them. You know, mm-hmm. we can't go in and say, well, in Arlington, we do it like this. So you just need to do it that way because right. that's not really a way that that's going to resonate with their with, with them. And so what from your listening, because I know that you have been listening and reading a lot. I've okay. really appreciated your posting of clips and sharing of stuff out of the very thoughtful editorials coming out of Roanoke and yeah. elsewhere that have really opened my understanding right. of very different sets of of um, priorities and, and sort of the value of kind of, well, assume good intent. Everybody wants their communities to be better. Right. Our ideas about what needs to be better to make them better vary tremendously, and it's been really instructive to me to kind of be exposed to that. So thank you for that. You know, how are you doing that listening, and um, what else are you learning or sharing? I mean, are there, like, things the rest of us you wish we would just be doing? Right. (laughs) Well, I I think we're hoping to sort of send out listeners. Um, The goals of our PAC are to raise money to support local candidates Mm -hmm. running in these areas. Mm -hmm. And we think with a presence, you know, they will actually go out and listen to to the voters. They'll knock on doors and Mm -hmm. say, what how can I help your schools? You Mm -hmm. know, what what are the issues facing you? I heard a great story by a um, House of Delegate candidate who's running in the 12th district named Chris Hurst. And he went to um, a meeting with some rural county sheriffs. As he told the story, he said that the three sheriffs were all Trump supporters. But he sat down with them and he said, what are, what are the biggest issues facing your, you know, your department? And they said, well, one of the biggest issues we're having is that, you know, our budget is being really stretched by having to pay overtime for our deputies that are having to drive mental health patients to an mm-hmm. open bed across the state. Mm-hmm. And Chris Hurst said, well, what's the Republican incumbent doing mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to help you? And they said, he hasn't returned our emails. <gasps> wow. And Chris you know, said, well, you know, if if I get elected, I would like to look into maybe regionalizing the mental health open bed policy so that nobody's really having to drive across the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he left with the three sheriffs asking for a Chris Hurst for delegate yard sign. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that Well, story. what a great example of, you know, people have a need to be heard. Yes. And I love the idea that Part of what you are doing is encouraging politicians to get out of their echo chambers. Right. Um, And as as sort of an enlightened self-interest, you know, from Northern Virginia to get them to hear other than our loud, clamoring voices. So how else, in the best of all possible worlds from your perspective, how else would we in Arlington be curious about understanding um, and truly knowing the rest of the state? Well, I, you know, one of the biggest influences on the way that I came to think about what we needed to do in Virginia was by following a a, a man named Jason Kander, who mm-hmm. ran for um, Senate 
in Missouri and and lost, but he got he outperformed Hillary by oh, I, like t- by twenty percent. So mm-hmm. two hundred thousand people voted for him and Trump. Oh, interesting. And he's a dem- he's a you know he was a very progressive Democrat, and mm-hmm. he said you know. I made my I, I made a confident and consistent argument across the state. I said the same thing in my urban areas that I did in my rural areas. Mm-hmm. And you know, he has this philosophy of make your argument and make it to everyone. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, become more moderate or compromise our progressive values. It just means you have to understand how those progressive values are going to resonate with with mm-hmm. voters across the state. And I think we have to understand that whatever message we're asking our politicians to have, whatever whatever stance we want them to take, it needs to take into account how that's going to resonate in the rest of the state. We can't mm-hmm. just say, take only our needs into consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my biggest issues right now is a $15 an hour minimum wage. You know, it will work in Arlington, but I think it's it would be really hard. It would be really hard. And every economist and small business owner I've talked to in Southwest Virginia. Says this can't fly here. This can't fly. Yeah. I mean, right now our current minimum wage is seven twenty-five, dollars mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's more than double in these right. rural areas. Right. And to me, that's a great example of choosing to be curious about how that story unfolds someplace other than in my little universe. Because right. here, $15 an hour seems like barely right. enough to get by. So that's a true story, too. Right. And then understanding that's not the whole story. And and for politicians who are, you know, the gubernatorial race, right. for instance, you know, needing to kind of make sense across a really broad spectrum in order to be viable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have an event coming up. Tell us about that. Yes, we do have an event coming up, and I'm very excited. It's an interactive um, relationship-building fundraiser for our PAC, and we have a, a, a great panel. We have... Uh, Delegate Sam Rasool from Roanoke. He's Mm. the only Muslim House of Delegate member um, in Virginia. And he I don't think I knew that we had a Muslim House of Delegate member. Yeah. And he is he is really a um, insightful and thoughtful and very curious person. Interesting. And and, uh, he's the farthest south and farthest west Democrat that we currently have in our I already said Sam Rasool, but we have Delegate Alfonso Lopez from Arlington. I think he will bring a great perspective into how electing Democrats the, from the rest of the state will also benefit us here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, because that's uh, a rising tide lifts all ships. So by helping our neighbors, we're helping ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we can elect more Democrats in Richmond, then our common sense policies that will truly help people will have a greater chance of getting passed. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll also build more faith in government. Mm -hmm. You know, if Mm -hmm. we can, if we can elect, if we can have more people that are working for people, you know, we will actually be in a position where we may be able to write policies that Mm -hmm. will benefit Mm -hmm. more Virginians. Mm -hmm. And the third member of our panel is um, House of Delegates member Chris Hurst, who I told the story about earlier. Yeah. I think it'll be a really interesting program. Yeah, me too. And it will have audience interaction, and we'll talk about building relationships and kind of building understanding. And, yeah, I'm very excited about that. So more information at TogetherVAPAC? Yes. Okay. Dot org. Okay. Dot org. Good. Okay. So before you go, 
Um, I have my big jar of wannabe analogies here. So you reach in, pick out a slip of paper, and I'm going to take one for myself, one for the audience, and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on that slip of paper. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go? Yodeling. (laughs) (laughs) You want to go? You want to do it? Well, you go first and kind of explain. Okay. Uh, So mine is snowman. How is curiosity like a snowman? Um, Curiosity is like a snowman because um, you build a snowman by kind of bringing together and balling up all of these little individual kind of snowflakes. And you kind of collect them and they turn into a something and you have an idea about what that something's going to look like, but (laughs) you don't know for sure. Um, And from that, you can build something quite delightful um, that then changes over time. So I guess that's how curiosity is like a snowman. So you have yodeling. Yes. Curiosity like yodeling. Okay. Curiosity is like yodeling. Um, when I think of yodeling, it's it's somebody standing at the top of a mountain. It's it's not a a big conversation. It's it's a kind of a, rep- a repetitive sound oh, that's yeah, coming out. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's see, curiosity is like yodeling in that you you kind of keep going back to something. Oh, um, yeah. You and and you can and when you keep going back, you may go at a different pitch or uh-huh. a, a higher uh-huh. pitch or a lower pitch and. You know, being uh, full-throated and um, outward about it is uh, is is liberating, and and it can and you can hear it. I like that. I like that. I like the idea of curiosity kind of echoing across the hills. Yes, I like, I like that, that a lot. I like that a lot. Okay, an audience. Um, oh, okay. How is curiosity like a truck hitch? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let us know, Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. How is curiosity like a truck hitch? Well, Stacy, thank you so much for this, and um, good luck. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for being curious. <laughs> My pleasure. You're listening to WARALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with previous shows, catch us online at WERA.FM. Uh, don't forget to send us your truck hitch analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to my guest, Stacy Snyder, for being so centered. And to the folks doing all this cool curiosity research, therein lies our hope. And I hope you'll join us next time when Arlington Public Library's Jenny Rothschild joins me to talk about libraries as our curiosity concierge. Until then, choose to be curious. <laughs>